Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, we're going to take a peek behind the curtain and examine the major business of this year's World Series between the Boston Red Sox and the Colorado Rockies. From team payrolls to what you should expect to pay if you're going to purchase a ticket to this year's Fall Classic, we're going to break it all down for you in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense, our good friend, Rick Buecher, ESPN's NBA insider, is going to join me to preview the start of the NBA's regular season. There are many interesting storylines as the league starts play, from the front office mess with the New York Knicks to the fallout from the Tim Donaghy gambling scandal to what the future holds for NBA franchises in Seattle and New Orleans. We're even going to talk a little bit about Kobe Bryant. Where is he going to be playing this season? Don't miss my conversation with ESPN's Rick Buecher in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to us on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Nathan, good to have you back in the studio. Nathan Roach joining me this week. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's good to be back on the air again. So, crazy week in the world of sports, but one of the things that made headlines... Fires, wildfires in San Diego really uh, affected the and impacted some of the uh, sports schedules there. Well, it takes natural disasters to really kind of put it into perspective. Obviously, San Diego's game has been, uh, they're going to be back on. San Diego State has been postponed for a couple weeks. But, you know, it's all about the important things in life, and it's not about the sports. But it's good to see that it's clear enough now that the uh, Chargers will be playing this weekend. We'll talk about this more in headlines. And the Dolphins and the Giants play this weekend in London. We've seen the NBA. We've even seen Major League Baseball take their brand and take their game abroad and have success doing it. The NFL really hasn't had a lot of success back in 2005. They did have a game in Mexico City, 103,000 fans there, great turnout. But beyond that, the NFL isn't really known for taking their brand beyond the borders. They're trying to do that this weekend. I think Europe's going to be a little bit tougher than Mexico. We'll have to see, but I think it's going to be tougher to draw that kind of fan base. Well, we've got lots of headlines coming up next. You are listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, wildfires in Southern California have changed the schedules of several sports teams. We've also seen athletes lose homes, have to evacuate their homes because of these fires. It looks like the San Diego Chargers are going to play at home at Qualcomm Stadium, despite the fact, Nathan, that Qualcomm Stadium this week has served as a home away from home for the many people who have been displaced by the fires. Yeah, and I couldn't help but think of Katrina this whole time as I'm reading about people sleeping at Qualcomm, camping out at Qualcomm, and now they're actually going to have a game there five days later. It's it's pretty incredible they've managed to turn it around that quickly. Well, and I would say that this situation has been handled much better than Katrina was, and the stadium is in much better shape than the Superdome was after that. And the Superdome was a natural disaster. Power was lost. Uh, There was flooding. There were a lot of things that aren't taking place uh, in the stadium. Even though it's a shelter, the stadium is not in peril as the Superdome was. Now, there's an interesting note here, Nathan. The team, the Chargers, they have an insurance policy. This policy covers lost gate receipts, but the deductible is extremely high. So you think, well, why don't they just play in Arizona? Why don't they play in Dallas or somewhere else where they can fill that stadium? It's not as easy as that, and if you lose your home revenues, and remember, you only have eight home games if you're an NFL team, that's a lot of money to lose. Well, yeah, and let's not talk about not playing at home. We've seen this happen with other teams, how difficult it is to actually go and play at another stadium, even though, quote-unquote, it is a home game. It obviously affects the outcome of maybe the rest of the season. One loss in the NFL is a lot bigger deal than one loss in Major League Baseball. Well, especially for the Chargers because they had a rough start. Now, the Lakers canceled their scheduled preseason game against the Jazz. That was to be played on Thursday at the IPay one Center in San Diego. The BYU-San Diego State football game scheduled for this weekend has been postponed until December 1st. Former Chargers linebacker, he now plays for the Patriots, Junior Seau. He lost one of his homes due to the fire. Phil Mickelson, LaDainian Tomlinson, Norv Turner, uh, people like that. Trevor Hoffman, their uh, houses are fine, but they had to evacuate. So lots of people had a, a rough week and were displaced by these fires. Well, certainly, and uh, you, you hope that they have fire insurance and can rebuild there. But I really feel, again, going back to uh, you know people outside the sports room, the people that don't have one or two, three, four homes as some of these players have, people that this is it. This is the last home for them. Well, I have two sisters that live in the San Diego area. I've been talking to them on the phone all week long, and they said it's been surreal down there. The skies have been red and orange, and you know, our prayers go out to all the people that lost their homes. I guess the the death count right now is only three. Not that that's not a lot of people, but with all of the damage that has gone on, three people, it's, it's really amazing more people haven't been hurt. Like I said, it just puts it into perspective what's important in life. We love sports. We love talking about sports, but this is what really matters. Our next headline, the NFL's New York Giants and the Miami Dolphins will play in London's Wembley Stadium on Sunday. And if the teams are satisfied, Nathan, we may see an annual game abroad. There hasn't been a game abroad since 2005. Uh, It was the Cardinals and the 49ers. They played in Mexico City before a record crowd of 103,000 fans. Now we're seeing a game in Wembley Stadium. We hear Commissioner Roger Goodell talk about an annual game. And as we discussed last week on the show, there's even been talk that the Super Bowl 
may be taken abroad, and London is one of those cities on the list. It's going to be an interesting experience to see how this game does this weekend in London. Well, certainly countries like England and countries like France and European countries have the stadiums that can house enough fans for the Super Bowl, and cities like London can certainly house enough people that want to go over there and see it. I just don't know if there's a big demand. I mean, they just canceled NFL Europe or ended that completely, right? And so I don't know if there's enough people that are going to support that. Now, I know there's some Giants fans, am I right, going over to see the game in England, but uh, we'll have to see if the Europeans really show up for the game. Yeah, some of the packages from New York, uh, $3,300 per person or uh, $4,300 per person if you're doing double occupancy. So expensive packages. You know, as I said, I was just over in China a few months ago or a month and a half ago whenever I was there, early September, and the NFL isn't even a blip on the radar in China. It's not nearly as big as football over in Europe. We will see if they have the success that the NBA has had in bringing their brand across the borders. Now, our next headline, we're going to stick with the NFL Might we finally see a team in Los Angeles? It's the nation's second largest media market. And some are saying within the next five years, we could see a team. The L.A. Times reported this week that uh, they're going to send the NFL is sending a staff to Southern California to investigate potential stadium sites that do not include the L.A. Coliseum or the city of Anaheim. Now, one of the interesting things here, and I said this when it happened. When Frank McCord, who we recently had on this show, bought the Dodgers. Don't forget, Frank McCord has made his money with real estate. People say the two most expensive, most valuable pieces of land in Los Angeles, Exposition Park, which is near L.A. Coliseum, and Chavez Ravine, where the Dodgers play. They are talking about maybe turning Chavez Ravine into a place where you could host an NFL team. That would be interesting. There's lots of land up there if you haven't been up there, and there's a place where you could put a stadium. Well, certainly, and I think you need a new stadium. You can't play them at the Coliseum. You can't play them at Dodger Stadium. I think you need a new football season or a stadium for L.A., and it surprises the heck out of me that they don't already have a team there. I mean, I was just reading about the Packers, and the Packers are the 250th biggest city in the United States, and they obviously have Green Bay. L.A., nothing. Second biggest market in the country. Well, but here's the thing, and I lived in Los Angeles for seven years. There's so many other things going on in Los Angeles. You can go to the beach. You can go to the movies. There's so many other forms of entertainment that... People haven't really missed it. I mean, there hasn't been a big clamor. Yeah, People aren't picketing the in the streets USC. going, hey, well, USC, yes, they are like the pro team there, and they've kind of eased the pain for a lot of people that there's not an NFL team. But this will definitely be an interesting story to watch. We'll keep our eyes on it. Our next headline, Nike has reached a deal. It's an all-cash deal, about $582 million to acquire UK-based Umbro. And that was announced this week. Now, Umbro has had lots of success in Europe. And obviously, Nike is trying to narrow the gap with Adidas by 2010, the next World Cup. And this is going to hopefully help them do it if you're Nike. Well, yeah. And, you know, Umbro has really lost some ground over the last couple of years. So this is uh, definitely a good move on their part. And they were big in the United States for a while, especially with soccer. Until Nike came on the market, it really was Umbro and Adidas here in the U.S. Yeah, and one of the things is is that their footwear has not been great, so Nike's probably going to help them with their cleats and some of their footwear stuff. They've sold most of their merchandise 
jersey sales, soccer, soccer balls. balls, things like that. Now, this is a trend for Nike. Nike bought Converse. They bought Hurley. They bought Cole Haan. So they gobble up these other companies. They keep them as their same brand, but they bring them in under the umbrella, and this is part of their uh, strategy for world global domination, I guess. Our last headline of the week, Oakland A's owner Lou Wolf. He gave an address at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco this week, and he says that the team will leave Oakland regardless of whether Fremont approves plans for a new ballpark. He says we don't want to move, but we don't want to start pitting cities against each other. And basically, he doesn't want to share Oakland Coliseum anymore with the Raiders. He wants a baseball park, and he doesn't want a stadium that feels more like a football stadium. Yeah, and I don't blame him, but there is a little piece of my heart that's sad, and I always went to Oakland A's games growing up, so uh, I don't know that I'll ever be back. Now, Wolf says that he may not realize the vision of Cisco Field, which was announced uh, several months back. That stadium would open in 2012. He'd like to see something sooner, so Fremont may not be the answer for the A's. We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. There's a lot of money in the Bay Area. There's a lot of land. The Giants have obviously shown that you can do a ballpark with private money, and they've been very successful in that. Uh, Most of these deals in California now, as we've talked many times on this show, don't get public support. So you're not going to get the taxpayers to chip in. You've got to do the the private thing, and we'll see if the A's can pull that off. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the enormous business of the World Series. Everything from team payrolls to how much players on the teams are making to what you might pay for a ticket if you're going to go to a game at Fenway Park or Coors Field. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back, and we're obviously in the midst of the 2007 Major League Baseball World Series, the Boston Red Sox, the Colorado Rockies, and this is big business, Nathan. And we wanted to cover a few different facts and figures during this segment kind of take people behind the scenes of the business side of the World Series. Let's start off by talking about how these teams were constructed, because really, it's two different tales. Uh, you've got the Boston Red Sox, the second highest payroll in all of Major League Baseball, $143 million. And Nathan, they were constructed largely by some key free agents. You've got Kurt Schilling, you've got Manny Ramirez, David Ortiz, J.D. Drew. 
and they're paying those guys a lot of money. Oh, they're paying them a ton of money, and especially when you compare it to a team like the Rockies, whose payroll is $54 million, only a third of what the Boston Red Sox have. And we talked about this the last couple weeks. They don't have the big-name players that the Red Sox do, and therefore they've had to fight a lot harder and probably will continue to do so to get those players. I mean, you look at this and you say Matt Holiday, who could be the Major League Baseball MVP this season, only makes $4.4 million. I mean, that's incredible to me. Yeah, it is incredible. And the Rockies, their payroll is 25th out of the 30 teams. And the thing that's even more incredible, $54 million payroll, $17 million of that goes to Todd Helton. So you take Todd Helton away, and they talked about trading him to the Red Sox. payroll right there. $37 million their payroll would be if Todd Helton wasn't on the team. And look what they've done. We've talked so many times on the show about the Yankees. $200 million payroll they lose in the first round of the playoffs. So you're looking at a team that maximized their players and the payroll, and they got there by not paying a lot of money. The Red Sox paid a lot of money. Basically what it comes down to is this. The four players we just mentioned – Manny Ramirez, uh, J.D. Drew, David Ortiz, and Kurt Schilling, those four guys make up the entire payroll of the Rockies. It's really astounding. Well, and to prove our philosophy right all along, where we always say, hey, you don't need a bunch of all-stars. You need just guys that play together as a team. For me, it would have been more fitting if Cleveland had been playing the Rockies in the World Series because they are kind of the same scenario. Instead, you got the Red Sox proving us wrong, but still, $154 million dollars. Two, you know, three times the amount that the Rockies have. That's incredible. Now let's talk about ticket demand. Let's talk about the ballparks, very different ballparks. Obviously, World Series ticket is usually a hot ticket, um, especially in the city it's taking place in. You know, but in the case of the Red Sox, the Red Sox have fans that want to come from all over the United States to come to Fenway Park or Coors Field to see them, part of Red Sox Nation. So Coors Field in Colorado They seat 51,000 fans in Boston, Fenway Park. It's the smallest park in Major League Baseball. It only has a capacity of roughly $39,000. So according to StubHub, the average price of a World Series ticket at Fenway Park is $1,431. That is astronomical. And then at Coors Field, it's $869. That's the average price. That's not the top price. That's what the resale price is. And, Nathan, I know that you have thoughts on where prices have gone for these major sporting events. Well, it's just gotten so sad. I just talked in the headline segment about how I used to go to Oakland A's kids as a kid or Oakland A's games as a kid. And, you know, at, we could afford it back then. But now, how can a father take his son or a daughter or kids to a game anymore with that kind of price tag on it? It just seems too high for me and so now all the kids who aren't as well to do can't afford to watch the World Series can't afford to go to these games and have that experience I mean we talk about it here in Portland with the Davis Cup where tickets are going for $1,200 how can the average person afford that it's just ridiculous well and then a lot of people don't realize this but for Major League Baseball World Series for all-star games for the Super Bowl the teams don't control a lot of the tickets. That's the leagues that control the tickets. So for the World Series right now, Major League Baseball comes in. They're giving tickets to sponsors, corporate partners. And one of the things the Red Sox said this week is, you know, usually it's a great problem to have a small ballpark because we sell it out all the time. Well, in this case, we have some of our own partners that we want to give tickets to. We can't give them tickets. Don't forget the Fenway Sports Group, Mike D., we've had him on this show, the COO of the Red Sox, 
They own a NASCAR team, so they want to bring some of their NASCAR clients to the World Series. They can't do that because there's not enough seating. Well, here's an example. Red Sox fan David Haley paid $10,883 each for two seats in the dugout box, 42 behind Fenway's home plate. That 10000 he paid over $20,000 for two tickets, and those don't even come with a hot dog or beer, I don't think. Well, and the scary thing is, according to StubHub, tickets in that same section are going for $17,000 each for Game 6 and $20,000 or more for Game 7. Those are enormous numbers. Those are actually as big of numbers as StubHub has ever seen. StubHub has been around for a while. Well, yeah, I mean, StubHub sold uh, De La Hoya Merriweather Boxing in Vegas. They sold tickets for $11,765 each. So this is way above that. I mean, that's what sponsors pay to have banners put in the outfield. Now, the interesting thing is ticket demand for the Red Sox this year is compared to 2004. It's not as great. Tickets were going for more money in 2004, how scary of a thought is that? Because we're talking, like we just said, $20,000 a ticket if this thing goes to Game 7. Well, yeah, the Red Sox have wore off a little bit. I said this coming into it that I don't think as many people are going to tune in TV. Not as many people are going to care about going to the games because at the time in 2004, they hadn't won a championship in, you know, almost 100 years. Now they have, you know, all the, the jump on the bandwagon fans aren't there anymore that just go to the game to see if they win it. Now the Rockies get to host the World Series for the first time ever, and they put their tickets on sale earlier this week online and someone did a malicious attack on the web server and crashed the site people couldn't buy tickets so they had to delay the ticket sales for another day it was a real mess for the Rockies front office oh yeah I mean when when front off people went to the stadium to purchase tickets and front office executives were walking by and people were actually booing them because of the disasters because imagine if you were ready to go ready to buy them online and you can't buy them, and all of a sudden when they go back on sale, you don't have the opportunity. I'd be pretty frustrated as a Rockies fan. Now, the tickets, when they did go on sale, they sold out in two and a half hours. So, basically, there's no tickets left at Fenway Park. There's no tickets left at Coors Field unless you're good friends with someone or you're going to buy them on the secondary market and pay thousands of dollars through a stub hub or someone else to uh, get a ticket. Well, that's the other problem is you get so many scalpers out here buying chunks of tickets and then reselling them for two, three, four times the value of the ticket that at the end, if you can't get a ticket, the only way you're going to pay is to buck up. Now, the other part of the World Series, and we talk about this all the time on this show, TV ratings. We have said, and I've written on my blog several times in recent weeks, the Fox executives, Rupert Murdoch and company, they were keeping their fingers crossed that a marquee team would make it to the World Series, whether it was the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs, uh, the L.A. Angels, someone with a big market and someone with a big loyal following making it to the World Series. Well, they're very happy that the Red Sox have made it to the World Series. So far, TV ratings have been very good during the series. And, you know, let's not forget the last two World Series Those have been the two lowest-rated TV World Series in the history of Major League Baseball. So Fox can only go up, hopefully. I mean, it would be embarrassing if they went any further down than uh, last year's rating. Well, I think Fox still has to hope for, you know, a Game 7, if you will, so that at least people are staying tuned. You know, if it's a blowout on the Red Sox behalf, you know, that doesn't do much for Fox. It gets them to where they want to be. But, you know, we talk about it earlier in the show. We talk about it all the time. Big-name players. Kobe Bryant, Manny Ramirez, if you've got them playing, people are tuning in. They know who they are.
This puts things in perspective. The NLCS was the lowest-rated league championship series ever in the history of baseball. It got a 2.9 average rating. The Game 7 of the ALCS, a 13.5 between the Red Sox and the Indians. So when you talk about numbers, I mean, look, at that's roughly six times the ratings between the ALCS and the NLCS, and that's all because of the Boston Red Sox. Well, I think it's all because of the Boston Red Sox, but I also think that people love tuning into a nail-biter, one that comes down to the last game, the last second. You know, it's Game 7. Red Sox came down from 3-1. People wanted to see if they could pull it off again, and they did. So another thing we've talked about in recent weeks is, you know, people don't know this Rockies roster, and I know you just mentioned that. The Rockies haven't been on a Fox Saturday broadcast since July of 2004. They haven't appeared on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball since June of 2002. So these guys are never on TV except for on their own network. People around the country are just now getting to know them. Yeah, that that stat is amazing to me because you know how many games are aired on Sunday night, and you would have thought that the Rockies would have played a marquee team like the Red Sox or someone that would have put them on TV. They've managed to avoid that, so that, that puts a little added pressure on you if you're a team member. So in addition to ratings, one of the things where the TV networks make their money is obviously ad sales, and how much can you charge for ad inventory? So Fox is currently getting slightly more than $400,000 per 30-second spot. If they get to Game 6, Game 7, they're going to be able to charge about $425,000 for a 30-second spot. They're sold out of all of their inventory through Game 5, so it is key that this series go at least five games because if it doesn't, they're going to have to start doing make goods and offering refunds to the people that bought from game five, six, and seven. Well, let's talk about how Fox has been finagling their oh, own man. marketing into this. I know, Brian, you have some thoughts on this. Well, I mean, you know, we see a fan, quote unquote, holding up a Chevy sign. We see, you know, they do this big Taco Bell promotion where if someone steals a base, everyone in America gets a free Taco Bell between two and five in the afternoon on a certain date. They bring on the COO of Taco Bell and he does his PR speak. Someone holds up a Manny Ramirez sign that says Manny Ramirez is my American idol, also on Fox. They show Troy Aikman sitting in the crowd and promote Fox Sunday NFL. I mean, this is like shameless promotion for Fox. It's almost like it's a big commercial, and oh, by the way, a game is taking place. And I agree with you. I think it is shameless, but you have to give Fox a little bit of credit for thinking outside the box and doing some new stuff. We haven't seen this kind of marketing done before. I'm sure it'll get old real quick, but give them a little bit of credit. It's already getting old, but I will say this. I'm so happy to be watching Fox doing the World Series as opposed to TBS. Coming up next, we're going to preview the upcoming NBA season. Lots of storylines. We're bringing on ESPN NBA insider Rick Buecher to join us for that. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. 
With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. The NBA regular season gets underway this week. We're going to preview some of the big storylines, and I wanted to bring our good friend Rick Buecher on to do that. Rick, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. So, Rick, obviously you know Kobe Bryant well. One of the biggest stories of the offseason is Kobe going to remain a Laker. Is he going to get moved somewhere else? Jerry Buss, the owner of the Lakers, made some comments a few weeks back that led some to believe that maybe he will actually trade his superstar. What's the latest? Where do you see this unfolding as the season progresses? If it was up to Kobe Bryant, he would already be elsewhere, either in Chicago or Dallas. The problem is that it's not. As it stands right now, it's a matter of just how personal and emotional this gets. The The bottom line is that there's no way the Lakers can make an equitable deal for Kobe Bryant. You don't trade the best player and get the two next best players back. Uh, that scenario just doesn't exist. So the question is, when do they get into Facebook mode? When do they say... We just need to make the best deal possible. And it remains to be seen exactly where they are on that. Obviously, they're inching closer because Dr. Buss would not say he's listening to offers if indeed he wasn't uh, at least considering it. And once you start moving in that direction, it's awfully difficult to stop that ball rolling. You know, I have it on pretty good authority that uh, the people in Chicago have said they've met and they don't want to trade their young talent away and tear up this team to go get Kobe Bryant. Thus, Dallas seems to make the most amount of sense. Do you see any scenario at all where we could see a Kobe for Dirk Nowitzki trade? No, I, I honestly don't. I, I don't think that uh, that Mark Cuban is willing to go that far down the line, nor does anybody believe that it would take that. And that's that's really the difficult situation that everybody's in at this point is uh, the the Lakers whether they know it or not are, are do not have the leverage here they're because they have an unhappy superstar they have a mediocre team and uh, at the end of the day uh, a year from now uh, Kobe Bryant can simply walk and they get nothing in return and he will certainly do that he will certainly exercise his option no longer wants to be part of the Lakers franchise. So, unfortunately, because they haven't made a move already, the Lakers are now in that Allen Iverson, Kevin Garnett situation of having to make the best deal possible rather than making a deal that, uh, that might be recognized as uh, equal value for a car or anywhere, anything close to equal value for, for Kobe Bryant. And, and the real problem is the longer they wait, uh, the worse their situation is going to get, whether they like it or not. It's, it's very unpalatable to want to move a Kobe Bryant, particularly for a team uh, in a city like L.A. But, but that is the situation that they now find themselves in. If they wanted to avoid that, 
They should have been working on this pro- problem a long time ago. Well, and the one thing I always say on this show is if someone else acquires Kobe Bryant, the minute they do, the franchise value for that owner skyrockets. Yep. He's one of the few guys in the league that can actually affect and impact a franchise value all by himself. I'm joined by Rick Buecher, ESPN's NBA insider. Rick, the Seattle Supersonics, this has been another story going on during the offseason. Are they going to move to Oklahoma City? Are they going to be able to get out of their arena, lease at Key Arena? How do you see this playing out? I don't know uh, legally what they'll be able to do to get out of that lease, but all indications are that they are certainly angling to move to Oklahoma City. Uh, and there are, are equal indications that this has been the plan all along, that Clay Bennett has done a tremendous job of smokescreening it, making it appear that he was doing what he could to stay in Seattle or was open to the idea of staying in Seattle. But there's certain moves that have been made that, that indicate that he is leaning toward Oklahoma City, that he is, if, he's, if he's trying to make one or the other happen, he's trying to make the move to Oklahoma City as opposed to finding a way to stay in Seattle. Well, and when his uh, silent partner spoke out in Oklahoma in the newspaper there uh, yeah. a few months ago, I mean, that pretty much blew their cover, didn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. If you had any doubts at that point, uh, that, removed, that removed them as far as... Uh, uh, as far as what their intentions are. But, you know, the bottom line is, what is it going to cost them to get out of that lease? And does that make it prohibitive uh, to make a move? So we'll, we'll have to see. The, the, there's, you know, there, there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, you, you Obviously, you have uh, the team that was in Oklahoma City going to New Orleans. Uh, that, from, from all accounts, uh, does not look to be working out very well on the uh, initial response from the fan base. And uh, that, that's with the hope that they'll be as successful as they've been the last couple of years. They, they have the potential of, once again, not making the playoffs. And with all of the dire circumstances in New Orleans, I, I, just, I really think that that's going to be a tough go. See, and it's funny that you say that. If you talk to people at the NBA, they'll tell you how sponsor sales and ticket sales are going so wonderfully and that people are re- embracing this as a socially responsible thing to do. But I've heard what you've heard, that it's not going so well. So here's the yeah. scenario, Rick. Tell me what you think about this. Clay Bennett sells to a group of owners in Washington. There are a lot of people there, some Microsoft people that would love to buy the team and keep them there, work out an arena to keep them there since they've been there since 1967. And then George Shin, who owns the Hornets and is going to find quickly that things aren't going to work in New Orleans, he sells the Hornets to Clay Bennett, who ultimately wants to get a team into Oklahoma City and the Hornets return to Oklahoma City. How feasible is that? (laughs) I think you have a better chance of seeing the current Sonics go to Oklahoma City and then the possibility of George Shin selling out to a, a Seattle group and having that team that is currently in New Orleans go to Seattle. But here's the rub. It's that David Stern feels a social responsibility to have a team in New Orleans. If he was looking at this strictly from a fiscal and demographic standpoint, uh, going to New Orleans in the first place was a bad idea. Uh, going back there after Hurricane Katrina is a uh, horrendous idea uh, as far as business is concerned. That's not what is driving this boat. And so I still find it hard to believe 
that's stern. And while it's the Board of Governors, not stern, that has to sign off on uh, any any franchise movement, I, I still believe it, it would have to be at minimum four or five years down the line before he's going to let uh, a franchise leave New Orleans. It's not out of what makes the most sense business-wise, but what his social conscience is telling him. And uh, there's no yeah, – it's awfully hard to ha- argue with that. Yeah, his, his heart's in the right place. I believe his head was in the wrong place when they first uh, allowed the franchise to move to New Orleans. But now that that's been done, it's awfully hard to go back and say, you know what, that market just doesn't make sense for us. We're, we're going uh, to pass at this stage. We're joined by Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Rick, the New York Knicks, uh, an em- embarrassing trial, sexual harassment trial. James Dolan, Isaiah Thomas, some bad PR for them. They did make some uh, on-the-court moves getting Zach Randolph. What do you see happening in New York? I mean, this is all taking place right under the commissioner's nose. Yeah, it, I, it, it sets up for, uh, for Isaiah Thomas to be the fall guy here. It's awfully hard for Stern, and Stern, keep in mind, Stern is a lawyer, and the reason that he initially, the indications were that he would not punish them, uh, Isaiah Thomas uh, or James Dolan, is because it was a civil suit. And as any lawyer will tell you, the burden of proof is, is, is far more relaxed uh, in the case of uh, a civil suit as opposed to a criminal suit. And so... That's the feeling that uh, that he has that he doesn't want to come down hard. Now he's also said, "I haven't made up my mind yet. I could still do something." Uh, but this is really, from a legal standpoint, it's awfully difficult for the league uh, to punish them uh, because there aren't any bylaws in the league that are clear cut that say that they've violated something it just it's a bad taint on the league and ultimately i think james dolan will end up having to throw isaiah thomas overboard to uh for for uh, to reclaim the damage that has gone on but if you talk to people around that organization all of the issues there don't stem with isaiah thomas they stem with james dolan yeah not that i'm a fan of isaiah thomas's but it's too bad someone can't throw james dolan overboard <laughs> is that well that's yeah, the beauty of being the owner. Uh, I know. To make those decisions. Yeah, it's kind of sad. He's tainting the image of his team and the league. So here's something I want to talk about. I know we've talked about this before. Tim Donaghy, the gambling scandal that rocked the NBA this summer. How is that going to play out this season? Are fans going to watch the game? And is there any integrity that the league might lose by that scandal? I'll be honest, because I, I have not gotten the sense that it's having much of an impact. And uh, I, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see whether it, whether it does. Uh, ultimately, the, the guys that are going to take the brunt of this are the referees uh, any time that they make a questionable call. And, uh, and even if they don't make a questionable call, uh, they're the ones whose lives uh, are going to be affected the most. From all indications, Tim Donaghy was an isolated case. And if you talk to people from the other leagues, they could tell you as much background as we do, you're always vulnerable to a guy like this. And what still has yet to be determined is exactly what he did, exactly how he may have influenced or changed the outcome of a game. 
at the end of the day, from what I know about officiating, unless you have all three guys on board, it is very difficult to actually uh, orchestrate. And I, I know there's people out there with statistics. I know there's people that believe otherwise. Having officiated a little bit, having understand, understood their jobs and how they're all interconnected uh, and, and where Tom, Tim Donaghy was as far as his relationship with the other referees, if he was really uh, going beyond his job, if he was doing a lot of strange and unusual things, it would have come to light and the other referees would have known about it without a doubt. I've talked to guys who refereed with him, who went back and looked at, at game tape, and they have yet to find exactly what he did that would have definitively changed the outcourse of the game. Rick, anytime there's a scandal, whether it's in politics or sports, there's a call for more transparency. What can yep. the league do to be more transparent here? The, the, the funny part is that everybody wants to know how referees are being penalized for their mistakes. That's what everybody seems to believe is the transparency. We want to know that when guys screw up, that they're being punished for it. And, uh, I mean, there's a number of ways they could be transparent. They could, they could be transparent as far as uh, giving the publicizing the reviews of right. individual referees. Right. They, could, uh, they could give breakdowns for every game. I mean, there are a number of different ways to do it. It's a matter of whether they're willing to or not. And, uh, you know, considering the scrutiny they're under, considering the, the public uh, 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 criticism that they receive, I, it, would, uh, it would make their jobs infinitely harder if, uh, if their job ratings were being publicized. All right, we've got 20 seconds left. My pick for the NBA Finals, and we're going to save this tape and play it for you next June, I'm going with a rematch of 1976, the Boston Celtics and the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to take the Suns wow. to win it all. Who are you taking? I am going to take, uh, I'm going to go with the, uh, the, the much less attractive uh, combo of the Houston Rockets and the Detroit Pistons, but I like yours. Wow, that's interesting. Well, we're going to save this tape. We'll play it next June, and we'll see who's right. Rick, I appreciate you taking time, and uh, have fun this NBA season. You got it, Brian. I will do. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. All too often, great ideas from the boardroom go unrealized. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every week on Sports Business Radio, I talk to owners and high-level executives who are responsible for overseeing multi-million dollar businesses. And guess what? Sometimes they can't achieve everything they'd like to on their own. That's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping senior-level executives realize their potential and meet their business objectives. Sockeye Inc. is a strategic consulting firm that advises executives on three primary issues business development, corporate social responsibility, and project management. Whether it's providing a critical outside perspective or if it's just making sure your project is delivered on time and within its budget, Sockeye Inc. is the company to turn to. As a high-level executive responsible for making key decisions every day, you need trustworthy counsel that will help make your great ideas a reality. To learn more about Sockeye Inc. strategic consulting services, visit SockeyeNorthwest.com or call Sockeye Inc. founder Joe Vaughn at 503-780-3032. The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com. Well, the NFL added $10 million to its medical fund for retired players Wednesday, designating the money for joint replacement surgery 
cardiovascular screening, and assisted living. That sum's going to be added to a $7 million fund agreed upon in July by the league and its players' union. It's going to be supplemented by money from player fines, contribution from the NFL Players Association, and other retired players' groups. Nathan, this is the latest step uh, to settle a dispute that's been going on for the last few years between the NFL players, uh, the retired players, and the league. Well, yeah, and Mike Ditka, former Bears coach, has been a key advocate for the retired players. And it's good to see the NFL. Obviously, we know it's a billion-dollar industry kicking back some money for players who are retired now and, and need it. Yeah, and Gene Upshaw, who is the head of the players' union, you know, a lot of people critical of him, but, you know, he stepped to the plate here. They basically said, hey, you're focusing all your attentions on the current players. You've forgotten about the former players. $17 million is a big statement, and that basically says, hey, you know what, we're here for the former players, and I think it's a great step. The NFL is a multi-billion dollar industry, so for them to take $17 million is, is a good thing for them to do. Yeah, I agree. So we got some picks, Brian. Yeah, I made my picks last segment with Rick Buecher for the NBA Finals this year. We're going to play this tape back in June. Nathan, who are you taking for the NBA Finals and is your league champion? Well, you know, I got to say that I like your picks, Phoenix and Boston, but I can't ignore San Antonio, so I'm going to have to say a San Antonio-Boston final, and I'm going to say San Antonio is going to win it again as much as it kills me. Bobby, what do you say? Utah-Detroit with Detroit winning it all. Wow, wow look at that. That's outside the box right there. Yeah, I love Bobby. You know, Buker picked Detroit too, and I'm just not seeing it. I mean, Detroit's only getting older, and I don't see it. Aaron Aflalo, baby. Aaron Aflalo. <laughs> Man. All right. Well, I'm hoping that this is the year of the Suns. Uh, by the way, I'm going to age myself here, but I was at the 1976 finals between the Celtics and the Suns, and I hope this is the year that Steve Nash, Grant Hill, Amari Stoudemire, some of those guys finally get their ring. Lots of thank yous on this week's show. Rick Buecher from ESPN. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, and ProTrade.com. Also, Sockeye Inc., a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week by going to sportsbusinessradio.com and clicking on the podcast page. Have a great week, and we'll see you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.